This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we're going to start out with another episode from the Damon Runyon Theater. I think you'll really get a kick out of the characters who normally socialize with mm, less than virtuous types, shall we say, and listen as they're taken out of their element and are forced to deal with the hoi polloi of folks who would consider themselves to be far superior to anyone who calls Brooklyn home. Tonight, we're going to hear the story about the character Broadway, played by John Brown, taking a down-on-her-luck young lady to a football game between Yale and Harvard. And he's surprised that she knows more about football than he does. Now, John Brown had major roles in several popular radio shows. He was John Doe in the Texas Star Theater's version of Fred Allen's Allen Alley. He played Irma's love interest in My Friend Irma and Digby Digger Odell in The Life of Riley. And I was delighted to discover that he also played Thorny, the neighbor on the radio version of The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. And at the half hour, we'll hear another story from Dragnet featuring Jack Webb. So let's get the whole show rolling here with this episode of the Damon Runyon Theater entitled Hold'em, Yale. The Damon Runyon Theater. Once again, the Damon Runyon Theater brings you another story by the master storyteller, Damon Runyon. And this one, Hold'em Yale. And to tell it to you, here is Broadway. Thanks. Well, one Saturday, I am in New Haven for a very large football game between the Harvards and the Yales. And what I am doing there is something which calls for quite little explanation, because I am not a college man. Also, what happens at the football game is quite a story, and one which I will tell to you in a minute. Now, back to the Damon Runyon Theater and the famous story, Hold'em Yale. The reason for my being at this football game goes back to one Friday night when I am sitting in Mindy's, thinking of very little except how I can get hold of a few potatoes that take care of the old overhead. And while I am sitting there, I look up and see Pete the Peddler. Pete is a ticket speculator by trade, but at the moment he seems to have something else on his mind. So I watch him for a minute. Then he spots me and comes over. Hello, Broadway. Hi, Pete. What's the news? There is no news. Say, is uh, Gigolo Georgie around any place? I do not see him. Why? I am looking for him. I see. You do not see. I do not see? He owes me 100 fish. 
You loan Gigolo Georgie a C-note? Eh, that is plain silly. Nobody loans Georgie anything except maybe a hit on top of his noggin. And that he does not have to pay back. True, very true. Then why are you looking for him? Tomorrow is the large football hassle between the Harvards and the Yales. You know that? I do not read the society pages. Yeah. Well, well, I give Georgie some ducats to sell at a fancy price. He takes the ducats and does a blow away. Leaving you holding the bag. But I hope soon to be holding his neck. Yeah. Well, he is not in here. Do you look in the nightclubs? He is always dancing with some doll who pays for the check. Eh, hey, he is nowhere about. I see. Well, someday I will catch up with him. Mm. Meanwhile, Broadway, how are you fixed for cash? I am in a sad state of disrepair. Okay, come to New Haven with me and the boys tomorrow and we will see what we can do to come honestly by a few fish. You want me to help you hustle the ducats? Sure. I figure this is quite an affair and there will be those who need ducats. We have them and we sell them. Slightly above the market price. <laughs> why not? As you say, why not? Okay, Pete, you have got yourself another boy. When do we start? We leave on the train tomorrow morning. And when do we come back? As soon as we get rid of the ducats. Why? Do you wish to stay in New Haven? I do not wish to stay any place that is more than five minutes away from Times Square. That is what I tell Pete. But it so happens that I stay considerably longer than it takes to get rid of the tickets. And how that happens begins when I am standing in front of what is called the Yale Bowl. And this is no bowl at all, but is a large concrete place with no roof on it. Well, like I say, I am standing there innocently holding some ducats in my hand in case somebody wants one or two. Then the scene is as follows. Get your hot dogs here, get your hot dogs. Ten cents, one-tenth of a dollar. Get your puppies here, hot dogs. Get your hot dogs here, hot dogs. Get your hot dogs here, hot dogs. Get your hot dogs here, hot dogs. Pardon me. Pardon me. Huh? Are you speaking to me, miss? Yes. Do you have the time? Time for what? Well, I mean, what time is it, please? Oh, oh, it is now uh, 2.20. Oh, oh. Is 2.20 a bad time for you? The game will start in a few minutes. You do not wish it to? I'll miss it. I'll miss it. Well, that is pretty tough to do, seeing as how it is right inside. But Elliot promised to meet me here with the tickets a half hour ago. Oh. Well, uh, look, uh, I have here some choice ducats for said game. I will sell you one for ten dollars. Ten dollars? It is a bargain price, because the game is about to begin and the market is going down. I... I have only fifty cents. Well, goodbye, little miss. Goodbye. <laughs> little miss, why do you have to see the game? My... my brother plays for Yale. Oh. Football? Of course. Why? Nothing. I wish I had some money. There are plenty of us who wish the same. But how does it happen that you have none? Well, you see, I, I left Miss Peavy's school in Worcester, and all I had was the fare here. Oh, I see. No, you don't. We will not have an argument about it. I couldn't ask Miss Peavy for any because, well, because I ran away from the school. Why? It, it's rather a personal reason. Well, as far as I can see, you are in a tough spot. But I am unable to sell you a ducat for 50 cents, so goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for telling me the time. Think nothing of. Broadway, I am looking for you. How is it going? Not good, Pete. I have four ducats left. Oh, great, great. I got one and so has Milk Air and Nubsy Taylor. And so you are stuck with seven ducats. Yeah, that is so. Say, do I not see you talking with that little doll as I walk up? Uh-huh. 
Who is she? I do not know her. But she tells me a hard luck story about somebody who is named Elliot and who does not show up with her ticket for the game. Why do you not try to sell her one? Because she has got only 50 cents. Ah. Oh, here comes Milk Ear and Nubsy. How's the luck, boys? Milk Ear? Terrible. I still got the ducat, and from what I hear, the game is about to begin. Uh, what about you, Nubsy? There is no market for this ticket. Uh, the game is about to begin. I am stuck with seven ducats. Uh, Pete, since you are not going to get rid of these, why do you not give one to the little miss, huh? huh? The one I see you talking to? Sure. Look at it. She is still crying. Eh, it is a hard luck story. Dolls always have a hard luck story. It is part of their character. No, I, I do not think this one is putting on the bike. Why not? Well, she says she comes from Worcester. And dolls with hard luck stories always come from San Francisco. Because the fair is somewhat larger. Hmm, that is true. But I think I got a better idea. What is that? Look, boys, I hustled ducats for many years now. But I never see one of these games. So I think I would like to. How about you, Milky? Me? Nah. Do you ever see one? Nah. Nubsy, how about you? This is the closest I ever get to one, and I do not think I wish to get closer. I often wish to see why suckers pay such high prices for ducats. Now is our chance. I wish to go back to New York. Broadway, there is no train until late this afternoon. We are stuck here, so we might as well see the football game. Well, it is an idea. So, come on. Now, wait a minute, Pete. What about the little doll? Uh, let us see. Come on, boys. Get your scoop covers here. Get your pom-pom. Scoop covers here. Uh, pardon us, little miss. Oh, yes. What is it? My friend here just tells me that you are hung out on the line. I'm what? He means I tell him that you are going to miss the game due to the fact that Elliot is not here. Yes, that's right. Well, look, uh, I happen to have seven ducats. We will take you in with us. Eh, uh, that is, if you wish to accompany us. You, you mean you'll really take me in? That is what he says, little miss. Oh, I, I don't know what to say. Just yes or no. Yes, and thank you. Then it's settled. Are you Yale or Harvard men? <laughs> is that funny, Milk here? It is. <laughs> I guess it is at that. <laughs> okay, okay, let us go. So we all start to walk to the place where we go in And the little doll is so happy about seeing the game She is bubbling over In fact, she is so glad about it That she makes the rest of us real happy That we are able to do the favor for her She has big blue eyes And turns them on Nubsy Taylor Who is more than somewhat fond of dolls No matter what color eyes they got Then she smiles at Milky. And I see that he is going to take the count. Even Pete the Peddler is getting soft as he listens to her while we walk along. I can't tell you how sweet you are. Why, I think I'd have died if I'd missed the kickoff. Kickoff? They are going to rub somebody out in there? I think I am beginning to like football. How can you tell when you are not even inside yet? They speak our language. <laughs> I like you. I'd be really happy if Elliot were here. Look, little miss, who is this Elliot that you talk about? Well, he's my... I... Well... Can I trust you? Now, that is a foolish question. Shut up, Broadway. Hey, go on, little miss. Who is Elliot? My fiancé. He... Father hates him. As a matter of fact, Elliot and I are going to elope after the game. After? Is football more important? My brother's playing today. For Yale. You say your father hates this Elliot. Why? Because... Well, because he thinks Elliot is... Well, he thinks Elliot's after my money. Oh, 
You have money? Only what my uncle left me. Just a few fish, huh? Fish? Dollars. Oh, yes. He left me a million dollars. <laughs> milk here, milk here. Better be careful how you eat those peanuts. <laughs> and make her stop talking like that. Well, you know, something tells me this Elliot citizen is no dope. I can't imagine why he didn't show up when he said he would. That is something that bothers me, too. Now? But I won't miss the game after all. Oh, you're all so wonderful to me. I feel as though I'd known you all my life. Uh-huh. It seems we now all have something in common. Broadway, there is nothing common about a million potatoes. Oh, look, here's our entrance. Let's hurry. The kickoff's the best part of the game. Eh, not where we come from. What? Eh, nothing. Eh, let us go in. Eh? You know, Pete, something tells me we better not see this game. Why not? I just got a feeling, that's all. Eh, come on. You'll love it. Here, little miss, take my arm and we will you... go in in style. Here is another arm for you. <laughs> You're all so wonderful. You must be important men. <laughs> like I say, let us go in. Nubsy, Nukir, Broadway, we are now going to college. Well, we go inside what is called the Yale boat, and it is crowded with people. I cannot believe that so many citizens would sit out in the open to watch the Harvards and the Yales. But we take our seats, and the scene is as follows. Look at all the suckers. Oh, oh, if I only had the ticket concession. Are all these people in here just to see football? Look, look, there's my brother. See him? Way over there. I see nothing but a lot of Indians in blankets. <laughs> Silly, that's the Harvard team. And... Oh, we're on the wrong side. Wrong side? What do you mean? Don't you see, Broadway? Look around us. I am. I see more people than there are in Times Square on New Year's Eve. We're on the enemy's side. Enemy? We got enemies here? We will keep our backs together and go down fighting. Little miss, what are you talking about? This is the Harvard side. We are not for Harvards? Oh, no. You've got to root for Yale. We do? Of course. I'm for Yale. Don't you want to be? If you are, we are. Nubsy, Nukir, Yale, it is. I am now a Yale man. If that is the way we got it, that is the way we got it. Hooray for Yale! Hooray for Yale! <laughs> Oh, look, the teens are coming out on the field. Stand up, boys. Yay! Yay! Hey, how do you like this little doll? She has leather lungs. Say, how many guys play this game? It is practically a gang war. Hey, you guys, take a look around us. What is the matter? I do not like the way the citizens in our immediate vicinity are eyeing our little doll. Yeah, they do not seem to be in favor of the Yales. Oh, I am not prepared for this. No rascal, no nothing. I know now we should go back to New York where there is peace and quiet. Nothing doing. The little doll is our guest. We do not walk out on a guest. The only hope we are able to walk out. They're lining up for the kickoff. Ah, this is what I am waiting to see. Stand up, stand up, boys. Stand up. I do not know why, but stand up. This kid is a born mobster. She is breakfasting. Look at what is happening down there. It is a free-for-all. Boys, if we do that in New York, the gendarmes would throw us in the clink. What happens then? Harvard's ball. First and ten on the 25. Oh, I see. Do you? No. Hug up that hole in the line! Hold him, yeah! Look! One of the guys in the blue shirt is rubbed out. He was knifed because I did not hear a shot. He'll be all right. He's got to be all right. He has only a slim chance the way I see it. There are two tons on top of him. Look, he's getting up. Atta boy, kill him! And she is so young. 
wonder how long this goes on. From the looks of it until they are all wiped out. Hey, Pete, look. We are getting some dirty looks from the Harvards around us. They do not like the way our little doll is screaming for the Yams. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Broadway, it looks like we might have some trouble. <laughs> well, well, it makes for an interesting afternoon. Now, back to the Damon Runyon Theater and the famous story, Hold'em Yale. Well, that is the way it goes. The Harvards and the Yales go running up and down the grass, knocking each other from here to next Sunday. And our little doll keeps up a steady fire. In fact, she can yell about as loud as anybody I ever hear, male or female. And we keep getting dirty looks from the Harvards in our neighborhood. Then the little doll mentions that she is chilly, and Nubsy and Milky had disappeared during what the doll says is a timeout. Then they come back, and the scene is as follows. Here you are, little miss. Put this robe around you. Oh, thank you. I have got a Demis jug of coffee for you. Why, why that's wonderful. Uh, boys, where did you get those robes and things? We find them. Yeah, we find them. How? The hard way. But what is the difference? Little miss... Do you have a mink coat? Well, yes. Why? See, Nubsy, I am right. We would have carried it over for nothing. What has happened? Time's back in. Oh, we've got to score. We've just got to. How the matter stand now, little miss? Scoreless tie and, and only three minutes to go. Little miss, you say that citizen who fires the gun is just the timekeeper? Well, that's right. Why? It just makes me nervous, that's all. I figure he's going to hurt somebody. Come on, Yale! Come on! Hey, why don't you go over to the Yale side? your own business. Yeah, yeah. Hold on, Yale. You, you. <laughs> That's a great comeback. Yale's better than Harvard any day in the week. Except on Saturday, which is today. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't say that to my friends here. Are they for Yale too? Yes. Well, I'll tell them to go over to the Yale side. We've got seats here and we'll stay. Isn't that right, Pete? That is right. So there. So there. <laughs> they look exactly as I'd expect you, old man, to look. Especially the one with the broken nose. He means me. And the other one. Where'd he get that ear? He is talking about my ear, and I am sensitive about that. I guess we better spread out, boys. Now, wait a minute, Pete. We are surrounded. Do we let them talk that way about us? Oh, look, look. What is happening now? One of the characters in the red shirts is all by himself. Look at that boy run. Go on, boy, go on. All the way, all the way. He runs faster than Harry the horse the night the gendarmes went to ask him a few questions. Get him! Say it. Why don't that citizen with the rod take a shot at him? Little Miss, is this bad? He's going for a touchdown. Is that good? No, no, we'll lose, we'll lose. He's over! He's I do not know what happens, but I gather that it is all bad, eh, miss? It's terrible. Come on, let's get those goalposts! Come on, you Harvard men, let's get those goalposts! What does he say? They're going to take our goalposts. What is that? Look, don't let them take them. I would not give you eight cents for them. You don't understand. They mustn't have the goalposts. What good those posts will be after they get them is a mystery to me. Well, I'm not going to let them do it. Come on, Yale, come on! 
Hey, where is she going? Search me, but she is heading for the field. She does not want the Harvards to take the goalposts. Pete, let us get out of here. Wait, Broadway. Are we going to stand by and watch the Harvards do something the little doll does not wish them to do? I do not like the crack that guy makes about my nose. And I am still sensitive about my ear. It uh, just so happens I have a dollar's worth of nickels rolled up in paper in case I get in a fight. A dollar's worth of nickels in a guy's fist makes him a pretty tough customer. As a matter of fact, I have a roll of nickels. It's a funny thing, but after feeling around in my pockets, I have two. Then why do we stand here while the little doll is down there? Let us go. No, wait, wait. We are only four of us. I do not care. I wish to look for the citizen who makes the crack about my nose. I think I will give him one like it. We will fight for the honor of the Yale. I do not go to Yale. I never wish to go to Yale. I do not care to defend the honor of Yale. But it is for our little dog. But I... Oh, that is different. Let us go. So we go down to the field and get to where the goalposts are. By this time, there are several thousand harbors tugging at the posts, and I figured the odds are pretty heavy. But then I see that our little doll climbs up and is now sitting on the crossbar screaming at the harbors. Don't you dare! Don't you dare take these posts! Get out or we'll take you with them! You're cowards! You fight a lady! Well, there's some doubt about that! Mr. Look, you hear the little lady? Do not shake her down from there! Oh, it's you, huh? And your friend. For the last time, do not shake the little lady down. <laughs> no? Here, watch. Mister, do not do it. The little doll up there does not wish you to. Oh, you're in it too, huh? Well, look, I never did like Durden's. Oh, I think yours would look much better down over your face. Pete, get me out of this hat. Let me out that guy. Pull up my hat so I can see. This is the <laughs> end of peaceful talk. Here we go. <laughs> Keep your backs to the post, boys, and let's go. Well, about this time, one of the Harvards, who is nine feet tall, reaches over six other guys and hits me on the chin. While I am going through the air, two other guys punch me when I am unable to defend myself. By the time I pick myself up, I am pretty well out of the way of everybody and have a chance to see what is going on. And what I see is Nubsy, Milkier, and Pete battling the Harvards. Nubsy's derby is still down over his ears, but he punches a hole in it so he can see, and he is swinging right and left. But the odds are too heavy. I run back into the battle, and the scene is as follows. So, so this is college? I am having trouble breathing through this derby. We cannot hold out much longer. I am not so tired of getting in as I am of getting up off the ground. I never figured these college boys are so good. Hold it, fellas! Look, look, these are game guys. Even if they do go to Yale. What do you say we call it quits, huh? Hey! Okay, okay, keep your goal, Pulse. Anybody who puts up that good a fight deserves them. Please, help me down. Come on. Nubsy, how are you? I will never wear another derby as long as I live. <clears throat> if I live. Nubsy, look. My other ear. The good one. Yeah. Now both sides of your head will match. Oh, you wonderful, wonderful man. I could kiss each one of you. I think nothing of it. Yale won't forget this. Neither will we. Does anybody see my shirt? I... 
Oh, look. Are they coming back? Oh, no, it, it's Elliot. Elliot, here I am. Elliot, darling. Wait, wait, that guy, Elliot. I want you to meet him. He's a Yale man. Yale he, man? Patricia, Yale... darling, are you all right? Oh, yes, but if it hadn't been for these wonderful men, I... Die, Gigolo! Georgie, you dirty little... Me? Now, listen, you... Elliot, what's the matter? Stand back, little miss. There is going to be a body going through the air. So, you're Elliot, eh? Now, listen, Pete, Jiggle I... Georgie, and you're going to take this little doll for a ride. You're going to elope with her. What's the matter? Why are you calling him George? Goodbye! I hope the exit is open! Goodbye! Take care of the little doll, boys. I'm going to take care of Jiggle Georgie. Elliot! Come back! I do not think he will come back. From the way he is going, he will slow down only when he crosses the state line. From the way Pete is going, I say Georgie will not make the state line. Ah! He does not even make it to the goal line. Oh, the the coward! Why doesn't he stand up and fight? Little miss, maybe you better turn your head. I will not. He's running from only one man, and, and you... you stood up against hundreds. I hate him. I hate him. Well, you change your mind suddenly. Come on, we'll find my father and I'll go home. Yeah, there's no use waiting for Pete. He will be busy for quite a while. Well, after Pete takes care of Gigolo Georgie, we take the young doll to the railroad station where she says she is going back to Miss Peavy's school in Worcester. We put her on the train and then we patch ourselves up and go back to New York. And I am very glad indeed to see it. Then I do not see Pete, Nubsy, or Milky for quite some time. In fact, it is a year later. And what happens then is the payoff, which I will tell you in a minute. that I see the boys again. It happens that I am out of potatoes. And when I look in the paper, I see that the Harvards and the Yales are going to play another game. So I figure I will help Pete hustle ducats. I mosey over to the terminal where I think I will see Pete. And sure enough, there he is. He sees me. And the scene is as follows. Well, 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 Broadway. I do not see you for a long time. How are you? I am fine. And how are you, Pete? Great. Just great. Hey. What are you doing here? You are going someplace? Well, I figure that maybe you will be hustling buckets again this year, and maybe you need another boy? Well, it is true that we are going to see the Harvards and the Yales do it again, but uh, <laughs> I am not hustling buckets. You are not? But you are going to the game. So is Nubsy and Milky. In, uh, in fact, here they come now. What? What is that Nubsy has got on his head? A hat. But it is not his usual derby. <laughs> no. Hello, Broadway. Hiya, Nubs. Milky. Hello, Broadway. <laughs> what is that you are carrying, Milky? It is what is called a pennant. It has got Yale printed on it. <laughs> I do not understand. The little doll's father is so grateful that we pry Gigolo Georgie away that he invites us to the game in his private box. That right, boys? That is right. And I am wearing a soft hat. Uh, not that I expect trouble. This year, there will be no trouble. We are sitting with the Yales. Sure. <laughs> now, we're all together, boys. Let us do it again. Okay. One, two, three. Bola, 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 all of you. <laughs> 
And so ends the famous Damon Runyon story, Hold'em Yale. Listen in again next week for... The Damon Runyon Theater. The Damon Runyon Theater with John Brown as Broadway is directed by Richard Sandville and the stories adapted for radio by Russell Hughes. Vern Carstensen is in charge of production. This is a Mayfair production. Stay tuned for Dragnet and Jack Webb as Sergeant Joe Friday next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Dragnet on Theater of the Mind where a killer is on the loose who's using a steel bludgeon to kill his victims. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. NBC brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to homicide. Somewhere in the tangled web of your city, there's a killer on the loose. A young woman has been brutally murdered. The weapon, a steel bludgeon. Your job is to get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, March 19th. It was foggy in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. It was 9.14 p.m. when I got to the old central jail building, third floor. The crime lab. Hi, Joe. Hi, coming, Lee. Just ran a spectrograph. What'd you find? The paint flake from the victim's head matches that paint on the hunk of pipe. Any prints? No, the pipe was clean, no latent prints. Well, that figured. Anything else? Got those blood test reports. A couple of slides for you to look at under the comparison mic. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Lee. Oh, hi, Joe. Didn't hear you come in. What's it look like, Ben? Well, here's the blood test reports. This one is blood found on the piece of pipe. Mm, type A. This one's blood from the victim. Type A. They match. That's right, boys. Doesn't mean too much, though. Did you look at these slides under the microscope? No, not yet. Well, this is your clincher. Wait till I get the light. Okay, take a look. Mm-hmm. Got a make? Yeah, go ahead. Well, this slide here on the right... Mm-hmm. That's a slice of hair from the victim's head. On the other slide is hair found on the steel pipe. Yeah? She had wavy hair. Both specimens are flat. Same hair, Joe. Got anything on that piece of pipe, Lee? Mm, nothing. Just ordinary steel pipe. 14 inches long. What else you got? The plaster impressions of those footprints we found by the body. Here they are. Hmm. Grape soles? Tennis shoes. New ones. Size 9. Good impression. Ground was soft. 
Man about 150 pounds, according to the length of stride, roughly about 5 feet 10 inches tall. Yeah, new shoes, all right. You can still read the manufacturer's label. That's right. Made by the Sport King Company. Well, that's something to follow up. Yeah, sure. You could start with the tennis courts. Only about 1,000 or so in L.A. Maybe you'd rather track down the brand. These particular tennis shoes are the biggest sellers in the country. Yeah. Where'd you like to start, Minneapolis or Pullman, Washington? What about that glove? Yeah, you might look for a missing glove. Yeah. They go well with the shoes, just about as common. White cotton work gloves with a blue top. Here's the right glove. You find the left one. Blood on a glove? Type A. Well, that's good evidence, Jones, but where's the lead? Now, look, I don't ask you to pay my parking tickets. You want to see blow-ups? Okay. Right over here. Oh, yeah. This is the vacant lot where they found the body. Yeah, that's right. Here's a close-up of her showing the location of the murder weapon, the glove, and the footprint relative to the position of the body. Looks as bad as yesterday. Sure did work her over, didn't it? The rest of these are morgue shots. Interested? No, I checked them this morning. Once is enough, Lee. Well, that winds it, boy. You want to go over the stuff in her purse again? You find anything more? No, nothing you haven't seen already. The usual. Makeup, comb, barrette, with the hair clip. Mm -hmm. A few cheap stones in it. Loose change, a quarter, nickel, a few pennies. Her ID card. Yeah. Helen Corday. 33 Naomi Place. Age 21. 21. That's not very old, is it, Lee? Not to die. No. Helen Corday. Who could kill Helen Corday? Why? Why do you say that, Mr. Meyer? Well, people kill for money. They, they kill for love. Helen Corday had none of these. No boyfriend? Not in here. No, she was a good worker. Five different waiters as the union sent me one month. Five! Did the union send Helen to you? Oh, sure, sure. All the girls come from the union, but none like Helen. Oh, she was sweet, honest, and courteous. Mr. Meyer, did you know anything about her personal life? Only that she was a good worker. Everything else she took home with her from this place. Did she ever mention any men to you? Anyone at all? No gentleman, not one. No. How much money did she make here? I paid her $26.50 a week, every Tuesday. Not much salary for so much work, but the tips are very good here. Nice customer. Mm -hmm. yeah, nice this is her home address, 33 Naomi Place? 33 Naomi, that's right, yeah. Thank you very much, Mr. Meyer, for your time. I wonder what kind of a person does things like this. Who could kill Helen Cordy? Everybody liked Helen. Helen Cordy? I never liked her. Come on in the office, boys, where we can talk. Never liked her because I never knew her. You the head of the union? I'm just a steward. I know most of the girls. This Cordy girl, what was she what she look like? Small brunette, about five three. Oh, here's a picture. Yeah. Pretty girl, wasn't she? Oh, sure, sure. Mr. Arredato's place. Nice little Dutch fella. Ottomeyer. That's right. He seemed to think quite a lot of her. Hey, yeah, she was a fine worker. Oh, sure. Always right up on her dues. Paid all the assessments right on time. Thought you said you didn't know her. Well, not right off, I didn't. But when you showed me that picture there, placed her right away. You know anything about her personal life? Hey, wait a minute. Why all these questions? Helen Corday was murdered last night. Oh. Who did it? You know anything about her personal life? You can see my position, Sergeant. 1,200 girls. Check them in, check them out. 
Oh, it just names to me till I see a picture of them. You wouldn't know if she had any boyfriends here in the Union, waiters, busboys? That I wouldn't know. Like I tell you, Sergeant, I never knew Helen Corday. Sure, I knew Helen Corday. Gus plays a nice piano, huh, Sergeant? Yeah. I read about it in the paper this morning. How long have you been selling pianos here at this place? About as long as I knew Helen. Three years. How'd you find me? Helen's landlady, we talked to her yesterday. She told us she worked here at this piano store. Oh. Funny, isn't it? What's funny? See Gus over there? That fellow demonstrating the piano? A few weeks ago, I made a deal with him to give Helen piano lessons. I figured it would help her with her singing lessons. Wanted to be a singer, you know. Did Helen know that fellow, Gus? No, she never met him. Who gave her the singing lessons, Miss Olsen? She took from Ostrander. Paul Ostrander, out on Melrose. A lot of movie people used to take from him. What do you know about her personal life? How do you mean? Does she have any boyfriends? Well, yes. You don't seem sure, Miss Olsen. Well, it's just that I don't know. I never asked Helen. But she did have a few dates with Paul Ostrander. I don't think she was serious. How about Ostrander? Well, gee, I, I don't know, Sergeant. I don't want to involve anybody. You want to help us find the killer, don't you? Yes, but if you're thinking Paul Ostrander did it, no, I'm sure he didn't kill her. That's all for today, Victoria. No, gentlemen. I did not kill Helen Corday. You gave her singing lessons, Mr. Ostrander. You knew her pretty well? Yes, I gave her voice coaching for about a year and a half. Helen showed a little promise. Not a great voice, a bad vibrato. You knew her pretty well. Why do you say that? Mr. Ostrander, didn't you used to take her out once in a while? No. No, I didn't know Helen socially at all. We know you had dates with her. That's not true. Only times I saw her was when she came here to the studio for lessons. You better tell the truth, Mr. Ostrander. We can prove that you've been out with her. Afraid of the publicity, is that it? Certainly, that's it. I have a successful business here. I've spent years building it. Anything like this would ruin me. Then you have been out with her. Only a few times. Nothing serious. I had nothing to do with her murder. Now, that's the truth. Don't you know that withholding information about a thing like this can go kind of hard for you? Yes, I know that. What else could I do? Mr. Ostrander, somewhere in this city right now, there's a guy who beat a young girl to death. He crushed her skull with a piece of steel pipe. We need every bit of information we can get to track him down. I know that, sir. You could have come to us. We wouldn't run to the newspapers with it. If the information's confidential, that's the way we treat it. Most of the time, it's the people who run to the newspapers first. Then they come to us. That's right, Mr. Ostrander. People are their own press agents. Sergeant, I'd like to know what right you have to invade my privacy and lecture me on my civic duty. All right, I'll tell you what right, Ostrander. We want the man who murdered Helen Corday. I got as much right as he had at 1214 this morning. Come on, Joe. Yeah. Thanks, Mr. Ostrander. Sorry if I invaded your privacy. Chief of Detectives, Ollis. Hannon. No, I'm sorry, ma'am. You got the wrong extension. Try 2511. You're welcome. Nice right here, Romero. Chief's been looking for you. Thank you, Mike. Come on, Joe. Yeah. Hello, Joe. Ben. Sit down. What'd you get? A notebook full of notes. A crime lab full of evidence. Nothing to tie them together. Are these some of the people you interviewed? Yeah, those and about a dozen more we didn't even take notes on. 
It's hard to figure, Skipper. Everybody seemed to like this girl. Ellen Corday, no known relative. Single, unattached girl, living all alone in the city. Few friends and no enemies, none we can find anyway. Are you uh, satisfied that all the people you interviewed are in the clear? Well, if we're going to stick to the simple robbery motive, we are. The kind of money Helen Corday made wouldn't interest those people. How are you doing on the outside leads? Nothing. We could just find one hole someplace, anything. All right, now look. You've got a lab full of evidence across the street. You've got a book full of names here. You've got the pieces. Now fit them together. They just don't add. Well, go over them and keep going over them until they do add. Anything from the informant? No, nothing so far. No tips on anybody that's been dough-heavy lately. Nobody's shooting off their mouth. Uh, the guy we want won't advertise. Figures himself a pretty smooth operator. But he probably made a mistake somewhere along the line. We'll find it. Got a hot shot, Ed. Yeah? 3220 Casino. Woman. Probable attack. All right, Friday. You and Ben run it down. We ran down the hot shot call for 3220 Casino turned out to be a typical dead-end lead. Her name was Mrs. Lillian Horn. For the past five years, Mr. Horn had been paid regularly on Wednesdays. He spent all day Thursday drinking up his paycheck and beating his wife. The call had no connection with the Corday murder. We made the usual call into communication. Unit 80K to Control 1. 80K to Control 1. Control 1 to 80K. Go ahead. On that probable attack, 3220 Casino. Code 4. 80K, Roger. 80K to Control 1, KMA 367. That was the beginning. For the next three days, we followed up every lead and every call, but they were all blind. All units were alerted, and they had as much information on the killer of Helen Corday as we did. Ben and I cruised throughout the entire Central Division. We covered every probable call that might have some connection with the murder. Attention, Unit 41R. 1654, Swanson Terrace, a woman, victim of probable attack, code three, unit 41R. It didn't make any difference what the call was. If there was a possibility it might tie in with the Corday murder, we ran it down. We made it a 24-hour job. So far, if the killer made a mistake, we hadn't been able to find it. The Corday funeral was on Monday. They were all there. The girl's landlady, the voice teacher, Ostrander the girlfriend, Marie Olson, the man from the union, and her boss, Otto Meyer. But nobody else we hadn't checked. That was Monday afternoon. Monday night, we went back to the old routine, tracking calls during the night in the squad car, picking up small threads that led nowhere. Three more days of the same thing. Thursday morning, one week after we found Helen Corday's body, we got an anonymous phone tip. I know who killed Helen Corday. His name is George Barlow. He lives at 418 White Oak Avenue. He used to date her up all the time. Get him and you've got the murderer. We checked George Barlow and about ten others just like him. None of them knew Helen Corday. Saturday night, Ben and I were back in the squad car cruising the Central Division. Saturday night's a good night for robbery. By 10 p.m., we'd run down four various calls. 123, code one. 123, roger. 12G, call your station. Unit 13R, 1254 Tower Road. A woman screaming. Investigate the trouble. Code 2. Let's handle that one, Ben. Yeah, okay. I'll notify communication. Unit 80K to Control 1. 80K to Control 1. Control 1 to Unit 80K. Go ahead. On your 1254 Tower Road call, we are in the vicinity. We will handle. 
Roger. 80 K to control one, KM8367. Let's go, Ben. Disregard your last call. Handled by ADK. Yeah, it should be right about here. Oh, here it is. 12.54. <laughs> <laughs> the man who tried to kill me is running out of the street. Where? He's getting to that gun at me. <laughs> he tried to kill me. Come on. Where'd he go, Joe? Turn right at the next corner. That's him up ahead. Got a good lead on us. Hit the siren. He's gaining, Joe. Took a left at the next corner. Oh, he isn't going to stop. Close in as tight as you can, Ben. Down to the floor now. Swing out to the left a little. I'm going for his tires. Right. All right, that'll slow him down. Pull up on him. Yeah. All right, you. Keep both hands on that wheel and get over to the curb. Over me, Joe. Right. Out of that car, mister. Shake him down. Hey, take it easy, will you? I haven't got a gun. Put the cuffs on him. Hey. hey you boys work fast. What am I doing with the gas chamber? Just save that, mister. Pretty rough treatment for speeding. All man. right, come on, you. Look, I, I got a right to know where you're taking me. What's the charge? We let the girl tell you. What girl? You just sit there and be quiet, huh? Oh, I know where you're going. This place back on Tara Road. Well, I asked to use the phone. The girl slammed the door in my face. I don't know what you cops are trying to prove. I just wanted to use the phone, that's all. I even tried to scare her a little. I, I told her I'd hit her over the head if she didn't let me use the phone. It's a laugh, huh? All right, you get out. Yeah, I suppose so. Get out. Hey. I got nothing to hide. That little girl's gonna lie, you know that, don't you? Who's there? Police officers. That's the man. That's him. He tried to kill me. His full name's Frank Philip Larson. They had no previous record. This the uh, girl's report? Yeah, it's it, Skipper. Uh, Judy Scott. How old is she? He's 19. She's a babysitter. Real tough boy, isn't he? Horses his way into the house. Beat her about the neck and arms. A tire iron. He fought it in his car. Jones is running it through the crime lab. Asked her if she had any money. She told him no. Struck her again. Where's this Larson live? Hotel out near Santa Monica. The clothing salesman, Ed, works for a big men's store, Burns and Company. According to the house book sales record, he bought a pair of tennis shoes two weeks ago. He's 158 pounds, 5 foot 11 inches. Tennis shoes are missing. They're not in his hotel room. He's not wearing What else do you find? A rhinestone. You mean a pin? No, just a small loose stone recovered from the rug in Larson's room. Crime lab got it? Working on it now. Ed, I think we've got the man who killed Helen Corday. A few scraps of circumstantial evidence and a hunch. That's not much to go on. Larson had gone after the little Scott girl with a tire iron. Wasn't much of a tie-in, but we had to be sure. All that day, we checked Frank Larson's alibi for the night of Helen Corday's murder. We interviewed the personnel manager at Burns & Company where he worked. We talked to all the clerks who knew him. The manager of the hotel where he lived. We found out everything we could about Frank Larson. And that night at 10 o'clock, we had the prisoner brought to the interrogation room. How are you, Larson? Fine. Just fine. I like jail. Sit down. 
Lousy weather. Been foggy all over town. I wouldn't know. I've been inside all day. How old are you, Lawton? 31. Same as the last time you asked me. Where'd you go to school? I didn't. I was born smart. You sell clothes, don't you, Lawton? We know you work for Burns and Company. Remember, you told us. What is all this? What are you guys trying to build? Just want to know if you like selling clothes. That's all. Well, you coppers know about clothes. One blue surge a year is your speed. You know quite a bit about clothes, don't you? I've been selling them for five years. Can you tell me something I've been wondering about? What's that? Are your socks and tie always supposed to match? That's what the style books say. Bet you always know the right things to wear, don't you? You wouldn't wear black shoes with a brown suit, would you? Is that what you're keeping me here for? Stylism? Oh, would you? Would you wear black shoes with a brown suit? Most people wouldn't. Bet you wouldn't wear brown shoes with a tuxedo, would you? I've been smoking too much. You got a glass of wine? Oh, yeah, sure. There you are, Lord. Thanks. That's good and cold. How about it? Would you ever wear brown shoes with a tux? Nobody would. That's a navy blue flannel you got on there, isn't it? Yeah. It's a good-looking suit. Stop around sometime. Get you a good deal. Suit like that flannel there you're wearing... You'd never wear tennis shoes with an outfit like that, would you? What do you think? I think you did. I think you wore them the night you killed Helen Corday. Who? Maybe you didn't have the blue suit on, but you were wearing tennis shoes. Sport King, size 9. Sell for five ninety-five. You picked them up at a discount. Cost you three and a quarter. Where'd you get that? Out of the house book, Burns and Company. You wouldn't have those shoes around now, would you? We couldn't find them in your hotel room. Your boss, Mr. Craig, used to think a lot of you, Larson. Before you started drinking on the job, your commissions used to run pretty high up the last couple of months. What happened? That cheap ride get to you? Well, you two really nosed around, didn't you? When are you going to tell me what I eat for breakfast? Cornflakes, cup of coffee, donut, sometimes two donuts when you're hungry. Elsie waits on you at the Royal Cafe. She gets a dime tip. And have some more of that water. Help yourself, there's a cooler. Very good and cold. <laughs> How about it, Larson? Where are the tennis shoes? They wore out. In three weeks? Can't be very good tennis shoes. No, they didn't wear out. What'd you do with them? You know all the answers. You figure it out. We know you bought the tennis shoes. We don't know where they are now. We know you had them. Size nine. Three feet from the body of Helen Corday, we found two size nine footprints made by a pair of Sport King tennis shoes. We figured the man weighed about 150 pounds. You weigh 158. Figured he's about five foot ten. You're 5'11". You come awful close to being the same build as the man who killed Helen Corday, don't you, Lord? Man, you wear the same size tennis shoes, same brand name. A lot of people wear nines. It's the average size. They sell a lot of Sport Kings, too. Everybody wears them. If we could find your pair, might make a difference. Doesn't mean your tennis shoes made the prints with a body. Doesn't prove that it didn't, neither. What'd you do with them, Larson? I threw them away. That's too bad. Might make a difference. Oh, what difference could it make? I threw them away, that's all. Now, how about the mate to this glove? I never saw it before. Found this right-hand glove by the body of Helen Corday. Just an ordinary cotton work glove. Everybody wears them. We could find the missing left glove. Why, might make a difference. Size, medium. That's average, too, isn't it, Larson? I never saw work gloves. I wouldn't know. No, but you bought work gloves, haven't you? Not a pair of those. I mean like this, don't you? We only got one. What kind of work gloves did you buy? I didn't buy any. You just said you did. I never said I bought any work clothes. You bought tennis shoes, though, didn't you? I Sport... told you I bought the tennis shoes. Didn't I tell you I bought them? No, you didn't tell us. We told you. Found out from Burns and Company where you work. All right, you told me. I bought them. You know that. 
Same kind of tennis shoes that made footprints by Helen Corday's butt. It wasn't me. Then why won't you tell us what you did with them? I've shoes? already told you. I threw them away. They were only three weeks old. They must have worn out awful fast. I didn't say they wore out. They got too dirty. No, you told us they wore out. Remember, Larson? I don't remember what I told you, but I don't have them now. We know you don't have them now. Where are they? He told us. They got too dirty. Right, Larson? Yes. Yes, yes, that's what I said. Anyhow, you haven't got them now. No, I haven't got them now. All right, now, just for the record, Larson, which was it? Did they get too dirty or did they wear out? Whatever I said before. You said both before, Larson. All right, I said both. You haven't got anything on me. We got that little Scott girl statement from last night. She says you tried to kill her. She's lying. I told you she'd lie, didn't I? I only wanted to use the phone. She says you hit her with a tire iron. Did you hit her with that iron? No, I only tried to scare her. I didn't hit her with anything. Then how'd you get those marks around her neck and arm? Police doctor says they were made by that tire iron. I don't care what your doctor says. I didn't hurt her. Now, what do you mean, Larson? You didn't hurt her or you didn't hit her with that tire Neither iron? Neither one. I just wanted to use a phone. How'd you know she had a phone? I didn't know if she had a phone. I just went up to find out. To find out what? To find out if I could use her phone. But you said you didn't know if she had a phone. I don't know anything the way you twist everything around. Sorry, Larson. You only want the truth. How about a cigarette? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I could use it. Here's light. Larson, where were you Wednesday night, March 18th? How many times are you going to ask me that same question? Just want to make sure we got it right. I told you this morning. I went to a show. I got out about 11, had a beer, and I went home. What time did you get home? About 11.30. Did you stay home? I went to bed. What did you see at the show? I never remember the names. You ought to try to remember this, and it's pretty important. Well, it was a deluxe theater. It was... Spencer Tracy and something. What was on when you walked in? The news. I never go in in the middle of a picture. Neither do I. Spoilers inform me. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The girl in the box office doesn't remember seeing you go in. She know. It was Keno night. There was a big crowd. Did you win anything? I never do. Anybody hit the jackpot? I don't remember. They give away a lot of money in those neighborhood theaters. I always remember who hits the jackpot. All right, you do. I don't. You remember if anybody won the jackpot? I told you, no. Do they have a jackpot at that show? I guess they do. I don't know. You know, it was Keno night. You should know if they had a jackpot. Maybe they had a jackpot. I don't know. I went out for a smoke. You said the cartoon was on when you walked in. Why do you always twist what I say? I told you the news was on when I went in. Remember anything about the newsreel? It was ten days ago. How do I know it was in it? I only know it was a newsreel. That's all. You're lying, Larson. We checked your alibi. The manager of the theater had to cut the newsreel Wednesday night because the show was running long with Keno night. You didn't go to the show Wednesday night, did you? All right, maybe I didn't. I don't remember. What's the difference? The difference is you could have been in that vacant lot the same night, the night Helen Corday was murdered. I didn't kill her. You can't prove I did. Interrogation room, Friday. Hiya, Jones. It did, huh? You're positive. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Lee. Sure you don't want to tell us what you did with those tennis shoes? I'm not going to go back over all that. I've told you guys all I'm going to tell you. You know how the Corday girl was murdered? How would I know? I don't know anything about it. She was on her way home from work, as usual, about midnight. Of course, you were home in bed about that time. But you didn't go to the show that night, Larson. On her way home, Helen Corday always took a shortcut across a vacant lot. She was about halfway through the lot when the murderer tried to grab her purse. She screamed and he struck her. Hit her several times with a piece of steel pipe 14 inches long. He beat her to death with that piece of steel pipe. Then he dropped the pipe in a right-hand cotton work glove. He left two footprints, size nine, sport king tennis shoes. I know all that. Well, here's something you don't know. When the killer scooped the paper money out of that girl's purse, he accidentally took along a loose rhinestone, a stone that fell out of a cheap barrette in the bottom of her bag. He carried that stone home with him. When he reached in his pocket to pull out the money he stole from her, the rhinestone fell on the floor. So? We found that rhinestone on the rug in your hotel room. Well, I haven't lived in that hotel room all my life. Maybe the tenant before me dropped it there. No, not this one. We checked the cement that held it in that barrette. It matches the glue on the stone. No, Larson, that rhinestone came from the hair clip that Helen Corday wore before she was murdered. That's enough to take you to the district attorney with. What am I supposed to say? We want you to tell us the truth. Why did you kill Helen Corday? Yeah. 
want the sandwiches and coffee now, Sergeant? Bring them in, Mike. Looks like we're going to be here a long time. Yeah, I brought you ham, cheese, and liverwurst. And some fruit. Coffee's black. Cream and sugar on the side. Mm, thank you, Mike. Yeah, it looks good. What kind you want, Larson? Ham, cheese, or liverwurst? Oh, not hungry? Okay. Fine with you? No, thanks. I think I'll have an apple, huh? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I fixed you a plate there, Larson. Right, coffee's right here. It's a fine apple. Mm. Nice and fresh. This a Washington apple? Yeah, I don't know. Is that coffee hot enough? No, it's fine. Where'd Mike pick these up? Well, in Broster Street. At East? No, hmm. Oh, it's very good. Well, drink your coffee anyway, Larson. It's getting cold. All right! All right! I didn't want to kill her. She screamed and I hit her. All I wanted was her purse. That's all I wanted. She, she wouldn't give to me. She had to fight back, so I hit her. I, I didn't want to kill her. All she had to do was give me the purse. I wouldn't have hurt her. I... I was drinking and I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, I was drunk. I was drunk. I didn't. I didn't mean to kill her. I, I, I didn't mean to kill her. I, 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 Mike, stay with him. We'll call the stenographer. See you tomorrow, Joe. Good night. Yeah. Sour racket, huh? The story you have just heard is true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. Frank Philip Larson was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. He was executed in the lethal gas chamber at the state penitentiary. You have just heard the fifth in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet is furnished by the Los Angeles Police Department. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Life with Luigi, followed by Escape. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.